Kingdom Stewards, Kingdom Stewards. So it's going to be a four-week series, and today I'm just kind of opening up the idea of, of, of the kingdom of God and really kind of giving you a big picture of that, and then the next three weeks following, we're going to kind of contextualize that idea and, and, and how it practically can play out in our life as individuals. But when you think about uh, uh, kingdom stewards, you can't help but think about the kingdom of God and kingdom stewardship. And so that's what I want to talk to you today is about kingdom stewardship. But before we can really get into kingdom stewardship, we've got to realize that we all live in a kingdom. You know, we don't use that word very often, you know, we're not, unless we live over in England, right? You know, and so we don't use kingdoms and kingship and kings and queens and that terminology. But we are in a kingdom. There's so many sub-kingdoms, if you would, on this planet, right? It's kind of like subcultures. They're everywhere. There, there's kingdoms of politics, there's geographical kingdoms. There's economical kingdoms, right? There's educational kingdoms. There's humanistic kingdoms. There's false religion and false, false doctrine kingdoms, right? There, there's all, we just prayed about the kingdom of darkness. There's all these kingdoms here on earth. And people bow to the culture of those kingdoms, and I'm not talking necessarily with a knee bowing, but they bow their life. They submit their life to the values that they represent. Each one of these kingdoms has values that carries out a culture, and we submit to those values and those cultures. We can actually be in the kingdom of God, but find ourselves subservient to the culture of a micro kingdom, a sub kingdom. You know what I'm talking about? And so as we're kind of opening this thing up today about kingdoms and the kingdom of God, I want you to personalize it. I really feel like today's service, honestly, from the day, from the moment it kicked off and, and, until the end, I really feel like this is an, an alignment type um, message. I think that God wants to align his people. I think that God wants to optimize our life. And I think that he wants us to surrender more to his kingdom and kingdom stewardship. And so I don't know about you, but as we go through these scriptures, I'm going to be thinking about God in my life and, and, and trying to understand what kingdom am I representing and am I bowing down to some sub-kingdoms of this world, the systems of this world. But as a disciple of Christ, we've got to realize that our kingdom has changed, right? We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his light, the kingdom of his glorious son, his beloved son. His name is Jesus. We know him as the king of kings, right? The Lord of lords. There's none greater than him. There, there was none before him or none after him. He is the greatest king. He's in full control. And understanding that knowledge that I've actually been, I've changed kingdoms is a big deal. And, and that knowledge only comes by the revelation of the word of God that is illuminated by the Holy Spirit. No intellect can drum that up, right? That you can't, you can't understand that revelation that's personalized to you without the Holy Spirit of God because it's spiritually discerned. But Jesus said that I've called you out of darkness into, into my marvelous light. I've transferred you out of one kingdom into another kingdom. I kind of think about the children of Israel 
In the Old Testament, God said that I'm delivering you out of slavery. If you read the story about Moses, I'm delivering you out of slavery, the people of God, out from under the kingdom of Egypt, out from under the kingdom of Pharaoh, and I'm going to show you a new way because I want to be your king. And God delivered them out. But how many know as the story goes, if you follow the children of Israel, though they've been delivered out of slavery, though they had been delivered out of Egypt, though they have been transferred from one kingdom to another kingdom, they still had a little bit of Egypt in them. And that's what happens to us. That's why I'm so amazed by the Holy Spirit of God who's faithful to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And me as a pastor, when I'm worshiping God, God's showing me that I still have a little bit of Egypt in me. How about you? And knowing that is a wonderful thing because then I can agree with God and be continually changed into the image of Jesus and his kingship and his lordship. And so this kingdom mindset is a huge, huge deal. Everything we have is now subject to Jesus or should be or we should want it to be. There's no other greater contentment or satisfaction, by the way, of making everything you have and everything you are and everything you are made up of subject to King Jesus. It brings life that no drug can bring. It brings contentment that no human can offer. It solidifies your soul and it causes you to worship your God. And so that's what we're aiming for, that my life is for his glory and not my own because I'm in a different kingdom. What we have to understand is that this kingdom operates different than the world's kingdoms. You You know what I mean? What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? By the way, theologians and philosophers have been wrestling with this concept for thousands of years, right? This invisible kingdom that we're a part of has many facets and ups and downs, and there's different theological lines where people land. But I know that the kingdom of God is mentioned over 150 times in the New Testament. So it's pretty, that's a lot of, It's a lot of times to mention the kingdom of God. And and the words used interchangeably throughout the New Testament, representing geographical territories, representing the authority and the reign of God among men, representing Christ's kingdom and also the church, the called out ones, and even the heavenly realm. This word is used over and over and over. But for today, we're defining the kingdom of God as the realm where God reigns supreme and Jesus is king. Let me personalize this. The kingdom of God is the realm in my life where God reigns supreme and Jesus is king. That would be a good thing to put on your mirror in the mornings, you know what I'm talking about, as a reminder. That's why I think communion is so powerful. By the way, you don't have to wait till we do communion here in church You can do communion at the house. You can do it with your spouse. You can do it in your small group. You can do it with your uh, brothers and sisters in Christ to remember that I'm now a part of a kingdom and I want his realm to reign supreme. And I want to be able to say with confidence, Jesus is king. 
I think when you're able to do that on a regular basis by doing what we just did in exercise and confession and communion and repentance and reflection, we can stand with power against the evil schemes of the devil. I think about Jesus, and when the devil came to tempt Jesus, the Bible says he found nothing in him. And so when we, when we make Jesus king, there's nothing in us. You know what I mean? And, and that's a perpetual thing, by the way. This is not a one-time event. It's perpetual. I have to perpetually proclaim that Jesus is king and his kingdom is reigning in my life and my, realign myself back with what his standards are, not the world's standards or not my own humanistic standards. Because in this kingdom, God's authority is honored and his will is obeyed. His authority is honored. We've given him the keys to our life. His authority is honored and his will is obeyed. And we freely operate in that. By the way, there's great power in that. Not reluctantly, but with gratitude. See, when, when, when we honor God's authority and honor his will and follow his will, it's with gratitude that we do that. Like it's like almost with humility and gratitude thinking, thank God, thank God. I can follow you, Lord. Thank God your loving kindness draws me to repentance. Talking about repentance, talking about the kingdom of God, there's a guy in the Bible, I like him. We don't know much about him, but his name was John the Baptist. He was a wild guy. He ate locusts and honey, and his hair was probably messed up. I'm not sure. I'm paraphrasing. Scared a lot of people, kind of like I do, you know what I mean? So he came out of the wilderness, and in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, he said, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There we see the word kingdom right there. But before the revelation or the exaltation of Jesus the Messiah, we see John the Baptist saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what he was saying is the kingdom of heaven has come in the person of Jesus. That's why John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. The king is here. Behold, the kingdom has come among you. Repent. Oh, that's a good word. I need to hear that every day. Then Jesus takes over from John's ministry, right? John said, I've got to get out of the way. That's what we got to do, right? We've got to follow John. The king is at hand. Let me get out of the way. And Jesus takes over in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we know that Jesus came to be an everlasting covenant. We know that he was, that he was coming by the, uh, to fulfill the, the, the law and the prophecies about him. And he's like, hey, change your way of thinking. There is a new and everlasting way. Repent, right? And though we weren't at that pivotal moment where the New Testament and the new covenant was being started and the old was being fulfilled, we're at a moment now where God says there's a better way. Repent right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus builds upon the message of John the Baptist. And then he taught his followers how to enter in the kingdom of God. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about Jesus. We're, 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 we're zooming out, if you would. You know what I'm talking about? We're Google earthing this thing. <laughs> taught his followers, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. There it is, the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven 
Jesus was saying in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door to that area. I am the door to that dimension. I am the door to that domain. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. There's a lot of false doctrine going on. There's a lot of false disciples, a lot of false prophets. But there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man. And it's the man Christ Jesus. He is the door. He is the perfect lamb of God. There's no prophet that's greater. There's no one that's going to come after him. It's Jesus. And it's at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. It's Jesus. It's that precious name. Things change when you start using the name of Jesus. By the way, when you pray in the authority of Jesus, when you talk about Jesus, the atmosphere changes. You You know what I'm saying? Jesus. And Jesus, he, you know, he kept illuminating the truth about the kingdom of God because, you know, like I said, this, this is a big thing. This, this is a big revelation, if you would. And so Jesus talks a lot in parables, talking about the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 13, verse 18, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and it became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. I imagine what those guys and gals were thinking as Jesus was giving this illustration. They're thinking, okay, a seed, wow, this is incredible. The modest beginning He was saying, I I am the firstborn of many brethren. This is a new and everlasting covenant. And this modest beginning is going to become a full tree to his glory. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The full fruition of the future, yet the kingdom now is both and. What an incredible thing. And Jesus urged his followers to pray for the coming kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One one commentary says this, we're called to pray and work for the continual advancement of God's kingdom on earth. And the presence of God's kingdom in this age refers to the reign of Christ in the hearts and the lives of believers and to the reigning presence of Christ in his body, the church. Today, his kingdom come, your will be done. And Jesus promised he would come again to an earth and in in glory to establish his kingdom as an internal inheritance for his people. We said it, he's coming back, we believe he is. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. That's that future. That's the kingdom now and kingdom coming. And he will be both judge and king. Both judge and king. And Jesus said that my kingship is not of this world. We, 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 we know that when he was with Pontius Pilate and he was trying to reveal truth to him. And Jesus said, my kingship is not of this world. My dominion doesn't come from human like yours does, Pontius. I'm from a different place. You know that we're pilgrims walking slowly through the earth. The Bible, another uh, uh, translation says we're aliens. So if you, if you never believed in aliens, here, now's your chance. You know? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're not of this world. 
So sometimes the Bible refers to the kingdom of God as present reality, while other times as a future future realm, the, the culmination of that beautiful tree that was in that parable. The Apostle Paul said the kingdom was an essential uh, part of our present spiritual life in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right here in my notes, I said God's kingdom centers on the gifts of righteousness, peace, and joy granted by the Holy Spirit so that bodily appetites become secondary versus primary. We make, we, you know, we've got that upside down a lot of times. You know, let's get, eat more, drink more, eat more, get more. And it feels good until, you know, a few hours later. But he said, this is not what you're centering your life on, the gratifications of the flesh. No, you're centering your life on this spiritual truth that I'm in the kingdom. And that it's about righteousness and peace and joy. What a focal point. The appetite of the flesh is never satisfied. Never. And, and, and look, I've, I'm at you. I've tried a lot of things. I'm, and it never, it never adds up. It always leaves me wanting. It doesn't never leave me anything good. I think it's good. It feels good. It seems like pleasure momentarily. Little did I know the deception of that then bites me again. No, that's not what God wants for us, right? He wants us to recenter our life on righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. God restores our soul and our connection with God through Christ. Jesus is the only sustaining force for mankind. Everything will always come up short. Don't waste your time. It's a waste, honestly. Paul taught the followers of Jesus to uh, Christ to enter into the kingdom, of, that they'll enter into the kingdom of God at salvation. Right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, He, Jesus Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. There it is. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son by faith, not by works, by, justified by faith, not by works, because, you know, there ain't nothing I can do. You know, the funny thing about works is we, we don't work because we're saved. The old school says we're, we, we work because we're saved. We, you know, we, 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 we're, we're following the Spirit of God because it, it, it's, it's God's will for us. We're not, we're not trying to drum up something on a religious treadmill performance to make ourselves feel better. Right? We're justified by faith. And when we're justified by faith alone that Christ is enough and he's paid it all, and there's nothing I can do to earn it. At that moment, I'm transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And then from that foundation, I work to serve him. I work to please him. I, I work for kingdom stewardship in my life. Out of, that, out of that foundation, we build upon. And the funny thing is, sometimes what we do is if we mess up after we come to Christ, and that's going to happen, right? We... We're going to mess up, and the Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father if we do, that if, if, if sin abounds, grace abounds, but just because grace abounds doesn't mean we continue in sin and abuse the grace of God, but though sin abounds, grace will abound, 
But even when we sin, sometimes we, we forget that then there's grace abound, abounding in our life, meaning I, can, I, can, I have an advocate with the Father, the man Christ Jesus, the great high priest who I can then bring my confessions to and agree with him and begin the repenting process and the healing process. But sometimes even that, what happens is we go back to works so we know, we know we're not saved by works, but even after we're saved through the justification of faith, when we mess up and, and grace abounds, we want to try to work and feel like we need approval from God, even though we know grace is abounding. And we get on the treadmill of performance because we're under condemnation, not conviction. Big concept, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand that. So when sin abounds in your life, after you've been justified in faith, then you're going to do what we did here this morning common union with God, agreement with God, confessions to our great high priest, repentance and gratitude. We're not going to drum up something. And then from that place of surrendering more, there's a beautiful wellspring of life that begins to happen in our heart. And it's God who does it. You understand? And um, that's the way we have to live. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, we're out of Egypt, and he's getting Egypt out of us. He's getting Egypt out of us. I wrote in my notes, Proverbs, it says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a man returns to his folly. But thanks be to God <laughs> that he reminds me of his glorious cross. <laughs> oh, Jesus. He reminds me of the future inheritance. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Wow. Chew on that for about a decade. Say, I want to go deeper. Chew on that for a decade and surrender daily as you're chewing on it. And when you think you found, figured it out, repent and say, Lord, you know all things and chew on it for another decade. <laughs> That's for those of you who are real word savvy. Now, I want to remind us as a citizen now in the kingdom of his beloved son, of kingdom of God, we're no longer to live by worldly values. But now we're to live by the values. We're, let's put it this way. We are to align ourselves in God's values. We, we are to come into an alignment with his values and his principles and, and, and submit to him because it's for his glory. It's his glory and our good, by the way. It's our good. By, by the way, it's our good. Do not be deceived. Aligning yourself with the values of God is wonderful and it's protecting you from sin and death. And it's good for you now. It's good for you now. It's the kingdom now. It's good for you right now. now. I'm not talking about rings and things and boats and coats. I'm talking about it's good for you. I'm talking about the abundant life is the abundant soul. Come on, somebody. It's good for you now. It's good for you now, and it's for his glory. And I want some of it. Kingdom stewardship. What's kingdom stewardship? What is it? One theologian said this. I think he did a great job. He says, the task of the church, that's us, the organism, not the organization, us, the called out one, the ecclesia, 
is a task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, in our families, in our schools, and in our checkbooks. Paul's right there. You want want to see the kingdom of God? Go home. Are you bearing witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in your jobs, in your families, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your checkbooks? It's a great time to repent. I do. I was reading this saying, man, Lord, wow, I need to realign myself. You know, you can be aligned at one time and then not aligned on another time. And then look back to where you were when you were aligned and call it the good old days. The thing about Jesus is he can realign you right this moment. Paul the apostle said, I forget those things which lie behind me. And I press forward to the goal, the upward calling of Christ Jesus. There's an upward calling for your life. There's a realignment for your life. Kingship. And even in our checkbooks, because God is Christ, it, it, because God is Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifested in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. And I'm like, man, give it to me, God. You know, I read all this and I don't know what's going on in your mind right now, honestly. I don't, I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know every detail of your life. Not my job. But you know, we think about it, some of you might start feeling condemned right now. And the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Don't be condemned, be convicted. I'm convicted because when I'm convicted, the Spirit convicts me. That's power, by the way. That, 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 look, the Bible says that God disciplines those he loves, thus I'm a son or a daughter of God. So if you're feeling a little discipline right now from the Holy Spirit, be grateful. <laughs> that you're found in him. <laughs> Man, be grateful that you're feeling that discipline right now because you're not dead yet. Oh, man. Talking about kingdom stewardship. Big idea here. Psalms, the psalmist said in, 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 in chapter 16, verse 2, I say to the Lord, you're my God. I have no good apart from you. That's a really good thing to think about all the time. Lest we stumble into self-sufficiency. You know what I mean? Lest we stumble into self-exaltation. Lest we stumble intellect. Lest we stumble into some sort of economic status. Lest we stumble into Facebook glory land. God, man. Aren't you tired of that stuff, dude? I mean... I don't know, man, you know, I'm trying, I'm only 43 years old, but I'm trying to live like I'm 65. 
Let me tell you why. Because I, I can just go talk to the older generation. They said, I wasted a lot of time. You don't have to waste it. Thank God. I'm not buying any more new clothes. <laughs> you know what I'm, <laughs> I'm not wasting any more money. I'm deleting Facebook. Come on, somebody. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us. Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branch. And without me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But as we abide in him and he abides in us, we bear much fruit for his kingdom. The fact is that everything we have is given to us by God. That's the fact. The problem is the temptation to use that, all the stuff that's given to us by God for our own gain and good. That's the problem. It's called sin. The solution we choose to use all of our resources for the glory of God and the good of others. This is kingdom stewardship. Really, really what it is, is the lordship of Christ. Honestly. The lordship of Christ. We have a responsibility to steward all that we have, our time, our talents, our gifts, our possessions, including everything about us, money and all in Christ, for Christ, and him alone, because he's king. I have here in my notes that perfect obedience is not possible in this life. Perfect obedience is not possible in this life. But if your life in no way reflects the lordship of Christ, then the Bible says you don't have faith. You don't have faith. 